<laughs> I found that out. I think somebody has it on video, but uh, we won't be in the book of Revelation, needless to say. We're going to be in the book of First Corinthians. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be picking up in chapter 3 in verse 16. So if you could turn there in your Bibles, we're going to stand and we're going to read that together. And it says, Paul continues his letter uh, of instruction to the church here in Corinth. Starts off, do you, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And Father, this morning, we just ask you would once again, Lord, meet us in this place. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us through your words to us this morning. Allow us to hear. Lord, settle us down. Allow us to hear what it is you want to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title I have for the study this morning would be Follow the Instructions. And we'll see that there's a lot of them because instructions are given to help us, to guide us, and even in some cases to protect us. And it's not only having the instructions that are important, but it's also reading them, understanding them, and then doing them. Because too many times I find myself I'm an electrician, I'll, I'll open up a light box or I'll open up a fan box and there's the instructions on top and I just kind of toss those aside and start building this thing because prideful me thinks I can do it on my own. I'm pretty wise, I've done this for you know, 30 years, okay, piece of cake. And I start in on it and pretty soon I'm noticing that it ain't looking much like the picture on the side of the box and, and I've got some spare parts over here and I've got some missing parts it seems over here because I didn't look at the instructions. I had the instructions, but I chose not to use them. They were right there on the top of the box. All I had to do was look at them, could have followed them, would have saved me a lot of grief and a lot of time and a lot of money. Paul is going to lay out some instructions in these passages for us here. Uh, there's going to be some things here for these in Corinth to, to do, to not do, to imitate, and to learn from. And these aren't just man's instructions to man. These are God's instructions to his church, to his people, through Paul. So we too can learn from what Paul has to share here in his instructions to the church at Corinth. And these aren't just instructions like, you know, a, a parent would give his kids like, hey, uh, go outside and play or whatever, or just, just get out of my face, or I'm going to give you instruction to do something just because. These are instructions from a loving parent that would tell his child, look, 
You know, go outside and play, but don't play on the freeway because you're going to get hurt over there. There are instructions given to help us, instructions given to guide us, to lead us, that, that we wouldn't be hurt, that we'd be tracking in the right direction. That's these kind of instructions because Paul loves this church. We've seen that in the prior chapters. He loves them. He wants them to be on the straight and narrow. He doesn't want them to be venturing off. So he, so he shares instruction with them as we travel through this. Paul starts off here in verse 16 addressing the church. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Paul asks this like maybe they'd forgotten or maybe they needed to be reminded of who they were. Do you not know, he says, you are the temple of God. The temple, meaning the sanctuary or, or the tabernacle or the place where God meets with his people and his people meet with him. And Paul is telling these in Corinth, you are that temple. And we know by God's word, the church is not a building. It's not a structure of brick and stone. It's not this. It's God's kids. It's people. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know that even today. It's people. And God's people could meet in a, in a living room or a warehouse or a tent or even in a school. Doesn't matter. When God's people come together, that's the church coming together. And maybe these in Corinth had lost sight of that. Maybe they needed to be reminded who they were. God's temple. God's people. And not only do you not know that you are the temple of God, but also that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Did you know that as well? Not only are we the temple of God, the church, but the Spirit of God dwells in us. He is dwelling here with us right now. We're God's kids. We're gathered to worship, to hear God through his word to us. His word here tells us that he is dwelling here with us. And I think sometimes we can forget that. We can get so caught up in the things that are going on that we can miss that, that God is here and he wants to meet with each one of us. I think that should be the motivation for each one of us to come each time we gather, whether it be Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Tuesdays, whenever that is that the church comes together. I think that that, and I've always thought that that should be the reason that we get up. Not because I got to go punch a clock or not because, well, it's expected of me or people will think this of me or that of me. Because we get to come and we get to hear God. We get to meet with God. He says he's here and he dwells in his church. Well, he's here. And I would pray for each of you, if that's not what you thought on the way here, that you'd realize that now and leave here changed, that every time you would come and gather with the church, you'd be stoked. God's going to be there. He's dwelling amongst us every time we gather. That should be our motivation. We get up on a Sunday morning, we should go, Lord, the Lord hasn't come back today. He has blessed us with another day to come and to gather as his church and he can dwell amongst his people. That should excite us. That should get us motivated and out that door, raring to go, dragging anybody and everybody we can with us that they could be blessed too. He's here and he wants to meet with us. God loves his church. He cares about his church, you. And if you're wondering how much God cares about his church, the next verse ought to make that crystal clear. Take a look, verse 17. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God doesn't mess around when it comes to people messing with his church, messing with you. He tells us here that 
His temple, his church, is holy and reminds us again that we are his temple. God is very specific as to what he will do to those who defile his temple. He will destroy them. He tells us, uh, he tells us the temple of God is holy. It's sanctified or set apart. It's his. We're set apart for our God. And he wants nothing but the best for us. And if anyone defiles God's holy temple, his church, us, he's very clear on what he will do to that person. Defiling God's temple could be many things, bringing in false doctrine, teaching blasphemy, leading God's kids astray, creating divisions in the church, and so on. Paul is writing this, I believe, to give them the right perspective on who they are as the church and how the church is to be holy, undefiled, set apart from the world or anyone in it. To me, it's, it's no different than if you have a son or a daughter and someone comes threatening to defile them. You're not just going to sit there. If you're a parent, your protection radar goes off immediately. You're not going to just sit there and watch great harm come to your child. To me, it's the same, only this is God we're talking about. His love for his kids, his church, is way greater than anything we can imagine. And when he says he'll destroy them, I think this also is way greater than we can imagine. Think about that. The maker of the universe and everything in it says that anyone that messes with you, his church, he, the one who made it all, is going to destroy them. It doesn't say he'll send someone or an angel to do it. He may. It says God will destroy him. That's gnarly. That's how much God cares about his church. Awesome if you're the church. A very good deterrent if you're trying to defile it. So Paul instructs by way of reminder as to who the church is, and he warns as well. Paul then moves on to address those things or those who think they are wise in verse 18. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And it would appear that some were deceiving themselves here. I believe that is why Paul addresses this. The question is, deceiving themselves in what? Or who would it be that's deceiving themselves? Or what would they be deceiving themselves in? Paul gives us the answer right here. He says, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age. So if anyone with you or around you, among you, that would be in the church, thinks they are fully worldly wise, they've deceived themselves. It's not wisdom at all. Notice it says, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age. There's a lot of people out there in the church that seem to think they have a grip on this world's wisdom and, and what's going on with it and how to deal with it, how to handle it. I don't claim to be that smart or wise in much of anything. I'm not much on science, but I know I didn't come from a monkey or, or any of that or, or an ooze pool a gazillion years ago. I'm not wise to that. God's word tells me he made me. God created me. Psalm 139 says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The world says that's foolishness. God's word says it's true. 
At some point, we have to choose. Either the world is right in its wisdom or God is right. What's sad is that many today in the church are grabbing hold of one part of worldly wisdom and one part of God's wisdom, and they're trying to mix them together. It's like mixing oil and water. We can't do that. It doesn't mix. It's either all God or it's polluted and defiled. And we know what happens when someone defiles God's church. It's like Paul is saying, let go of the world's wisdom so you can grab hold of real wisdom. We got to let go of this because if you're hanging on to it, your hands are full. You can't grab hold of anything else. You got to let it go. You got to free up your hands of the world's wisdom. You got to let it go. Walk from it. And now our hands are freed up and we're able to grab hold of God's wisdom. It's kind of metaphorically or a picture thing, but it works. You got to let go of that stuff and you got to grab hold of what God's speaking to you, his wisdom. Even if those around us think we're a fool for doing that. We become a fool as the world sees us that we may become wise as God sees us. Verse 19 says, for the wisdom of this world, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. God's view of this world's wisdom is that it's foolishness. And when we think about it, it should be foolishness to us as well. Man really can't explain anything, even the simple things, like how a cut heals itself. I was sitting there going, boy, what's an example for that? How a cut heals itself. We know it does. We know if we hold the skin together with stitches and then put a Band-Aid on it, we know that the skin will grow back together. We know that. But we don't know why it does it. We understand it to a point. And then after that, we're just guessing. I mean, we can do that. I was looking at it going, how is that even going to work? The doctors, they don't know. They know it'll do it if they cover it up. But they don't know why. So many things we don't know. And when we don't know, but we speak like we do know, like we've got it figured out, it's foolishness to God. He says, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And for some reason, I kept thinking, of those who set out with all wisdom of this world who decide they're going to use that wisdom to prove this or that or any other thing. I was thinking of those who come into church, like Paul's talking about here, the, the psychologists. He says they're among you, those who think they're wise among you. The psychologists, the, uh, I wrote it down, the psychologists, the, the philosophers, those who would come in and seek to, to fill you with earthly wisdom. Well, yeah, that's what God's word says, but here, let me show you reality here. We've done studies and we've done these things and, and they're in the church and they're doing this to the church. Not good. I'd rank that under the defiled section, but that's what Paul's addressing here. There's those in there that think they're wise and they're defiling God's church. And it's prevalent today, everywhere today. You can go in there and hear God's word, and then you can hear, well, that's good, but here's what the psychologists say about that. Here's what the uh, philosophers say about that. And some, but some, in the process of that, you could save themselves. There's some, uh, I, I guess they're psychologists, uh, Bruce knows them, they wrote a book out there that they got saved, I, I think, the same way. It could be wrong, but I, I think they did. It was the same way. They were psychologists, and they got saved. Or they were in the church, and then they let go of that stuff. I don't know where they ended up today, but at that point when I was, was looking at that, they had let go of that stuff and grabbed hold of Jesus. But to do it, they had to let go of this and grab this. You could say that God caught them in their own craftiness. Um, 
another, I had another example of that, but it was, it was a guy that was in the church or a guy that was outside the church impacting the church. We know that's going to happen. We know the world's out there, and they want to have impact on the church, but Paul's talking about those that are among us, those that seem wise among us. We already know the world wants to deceive us. The world wants us to drop this Jesus thing and just stop convicting us with that. Stop talking Jesus to us, man. You're, you're, you're dampening our high. You're ruining things for us. We know that. Paul's saying he's dealing with those in the church that seem to be wise that be, or deceiving people. Paul points out that the world's wisdom cannot see what's even in the next breath. And God knows it. Only he knows what's coming. Only he know, has that knowledge. And for this world to pretend it has knowledge in anything is foolishness with God. Verse 20 says, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. And Paul may be writing these uh, about those who think they are wise because of some who have come into the church and were defiling the church and were bringing in this psychology and this, this stuff and, they were attempt, uh, and were attempting to appear like they had something that others didn't have or something that others needed that Paul wasn't telling them or wasn't teaching them, some type of wisdom, and Paul didn't have it. Maybe to, to build themselves up or maybe to... Uh, appear wise to others or to gain a following or to look important or smart, whatever it was, whatever the case, Paul says, God knows their thoughts and they're futile because their wisdom is not based on God's wisdom, but their own. And it's the same today. Man's wisdom is temporary, short-sighted at best, and it's going nowhere. God knows our thoughts before we think them. And he says here, he knows the thoughts of the wise as well, and they're futile. Therefore, because of these things, verse 21, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And we know from chapter 1, these in Corinth were boasting in men. If you look at it, it says, I'm, boast, uh, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. They were boasting in who they were following, the men. They were boasting in them and dividing over them. Not good. And usually when we lift one person up, by doing that, we tend to put others down. You're going, no, I don't do that. Yeah, it kind of does, because I was sitting there thinking about that, going, no, I don't do that. You know, I lift this person up. By lifting someone up, it's kind of like the scale thing. Oh, this guy's pretty good. Oh, whoa, that means that guy's not as good. So even though we think we're not doing that, we're doing that, and that's what these guys were doing. It's like, he's okay, but this guy, he's got something. That kind of thing. Like... uh, Paul says, don't boast in men. There's no wisdom in that. We just saw that. These here in Corinth and us today don't want to be caught up in the messenger, but in the message. We don't want to be caught up with the guy that's up here speaking it, and oh, he's so cool. He looks so great. He delivers it so well. We want to be caught up in the message. We want to be caught up in what God has to say to us today. We want to be caught up in what God wants to speak to us today. That's why we came. We didn't come to watch a fancy guy up there speak and be elaborate and have great speech and tell us we're all great and send us home with nothing. We want to hear what God wants to speak to us today. He continues with, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, dash, think about that, all are yours. He's telling them they're not limited in who they listen to or who they can learn from. There are plenty of good teachers in God's world out there, teaching God's word. 
We're not limited to liking just one. Saying that, we need to be the Berean and make sure it's God's word we're being taught and not something else, not some psychological babble or anything like that. We need to be sure, be the Berean. But we're not limited to any one person or any one thing. It's all ours. We can even listen to those who aren't here anymore via recordings or, or videos or DVDs, podcasts or whatever, past, present, even those things yet to come that we don't know about. We can learn from it all. It's all ours. I have my Bible, I have Bruce, Chuck, Joe, Blue Letter Bible resources, online Bible, it's endless. And Paul informs them and us not to boast or hold up a man in all this, but to allow God to minister to us through everything and everyone he's given to us. That way, God will be our boast in everything and everyone he uses to grow us, to mature us up in his word and his wisdom. No limits. God is the one we're supposed to be boasting in here. Paul reminds us of that in verse 23. He writes, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Christ is our boast. God is our boast. Those are who we boast in. We boast in our God. We boast in our Jesus. Think about it. A guy at a pulpit doesn't do anything for you when you're out in the world and you're, you've hit rock bottom and you're asking for mercy and grace and God's peace to come upon you. You don't think of the guy at the pulpit at that point going, wow, that gives me great peace thinking of how well his hair looked or, or how he spoke. That doesn't happen. But the peace that surpasses all understanding comes from our God and we can boast in that. People can see that in us, that we are boasting in that just how we live because we love our God and we acknowledge that he's the one that does that in our lives. He's the one we're supposed to be boasted about, not men, not what men think and men's wisdom and how they say we should be, but how God's word tells us we should be. That's our boast. That's where we want to hang out. And Paul's telling us that. And you're Christ's and Christ is God's. It's all yours, man. And that's our boast. And because we belong to Jesus and Jesus is God's, this is possible that all things are ours. All things are ours. And all we are and have belong to Jesus, and Jesus is God's. This is a good thing to remember when we start to think it's all about us, because Jesus is our boast for the things he has done and is doing in our lives. God is our boast for what he's done in our lives. And Paul is now going to give these in Corinth a picture or an example of how a leader in the church of God should be in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul is telling them to reckon him and those with him as servants of Christ and stewards. These are not the positions of famous people in the world that I know. We know Jesus was servant of all, but he's talking about people in the world. These are not positions that the world would call popular or famous. This would be like boasting in the water boy versus the football team or the quarterback. Paul is saying, consider us that way. Nothing more. We're servants of Christ. The word servant here means under rower. It would be like the guys back in the days in the, and I don't, still don't know the name of the movie, the Ben-Hur movie or whatever that is, we're in the big boat and there's, they're the under rowers. They're the guys under the deck that are rowing the boat. When the master up above says, hey, start rowing, they start rowing. When he says, go faster, they go faster. When they say stop, he stops because the under rowers were listening to the guy on top. He was the one calling the shots. He was the master. They were the under rowers. That's what Paul's trying to get across here with this picture saying, look, that's who we are. That's who you need to think we are. We're the ones that take orders from God. We're not making them up and telling you what we think 
We're hearing it from God, and we're giving it to you. We're just servants. We're just doing what God's called us to do. We're the, the underers. Uh, they were like the servants of the ship, doing what they were, their masters had told them to do. Paul says, look at us like that, only servants of Jesus, doing what we're told. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Again, not commanders or captains or big-named people, but steward, a manager, an overseer of the things of God, the mysteries of God, it says here, one who takes care of or looks after the things of God. This is what Paul wants them to think about. This is what Paul wants them to think of them, and, and nothing more than that. We are all called to be servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God in one fashion or another. God has given us all things to do for his kingdom. He's given me things to do and to take care of, and he's given each one of you things to do and take care of as well. From preaching the gospel to raising children to running a family or wherever or whatever or wherever we go, he's given us things to do. We are to be stewards of the mysteries of God in all that he's given us to do. Paul is now going to give us a little instruction as to being a steward. Verse 2 says, moreover, he says, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Paul lists one requirement to the steward position. One must be found faithful. Of the many things the steward does, being faithful in them is the only requirement Paul lists here. And I'm sure uh, these Paul is writing to can probably think of how Paul was faithful in, in teaching God's word to them and the things that they experienced through Paul, faithful in praying for them, praying with them and for them, faithful in sharing with everyone that he came into contact with, faithful as he was uh, spending time with them and loving on them and pointing to God's word with them. This requirement that Paul was showing then is still in effect today. As we hear God's call in our lives as to what to do and what to be about, as stewards of the things of God he's entrusted to us, we're called to be faithful in those things. Whether that be serving in the church or at home, the job, or at school, Wherever God has given us to be, faithfulness is still required. Paul is now going to give us a little instruction as to how to handle being judged by others. He says here, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. This word, very small thing, it's like a speck of dust. That's how much it affects Paul here. That's how much it hits him. This very small thing is like a speck of dust. He points out three different ways here that he's being judged or we can be judged. The first one is being judged by those in the church. When he says judged by you, he is speaking to those he wrote this letter to, the church. Who knows how they were judging him? I find it hard to believe anyone could sit back and judge the apostle Paul. But if they can accuse Jesus falsely and judge him, I suppose they can find things as well to, to judge Paul on. It's kind of sad that, the, that the, one of the most gifted teachers in God's word who taught them for a year and a half, pouring God's word into them, loving on them, praying with them, being the example of Jesus to them, and they cast judgment on him. I find that hard to believe, but it's even sadder is that still happens today to those in the church. They judge those who serve over them. May that never be said at Calvary Chapel of the Woodlands. 
I would pray that none of us would ever climb up into the judgment seat and be critical of those who are faithfully doing what God's called them to do. But even in this, Paul says, but with me it is a very small thing, a grain of dust, thing that I should be judged by you. Didn't bother him. The second judging we see is by those outside the church, the human court, he calls it. The world is always going to find fault with God's kids. You know that. I know that. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. So when he is judged by them, he says, that's a very small thing. No worries. The third one, he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. No self-judgment going on here. No beating himself up for past failures or missed opportunities. He's not hanging on to that stuff, and neither should we. We shouldn't run around beating ourselves up for things that we've missed or things that have gotten past us or things we didn't see or, or things we botched. He does his best, Paul does, and he commits the rest. Moving on, Say, so should we. We want to learn from our mistakes so we don't repeat them. We don't want to keep running it through our heads, though, over and over. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't. We do our best and we commit the rest. If we need to repent, we repent. Then we turn from whatever it is and we get back in the game. It's Paul's message to him. He's saying, look, that stuff doesn't bother me. I don't worry about that stuff. It doesn't hold me down. It doesn't stop me and it doesn't hinder me from doing what God's called me to do faithfully. He says in verse 4, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Paul's conscience is clear. He can't even think of anything to judge himself with. And yet he says, I'm not justified by this. I believe he's trying to point out that he is not the judge. The Lord is. The Lord is the one that justifies. The Lord is the one that judges. That's his job, not ours. And because we're not judges, Paul gives us instructions as to what not to do. In verse 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring the to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Sounds like he's saying, don't prejudge anything until the Lord comes. Because we can only see what's going on on the outside. Jesus can see the inside. He sees the hidden things that we don't know about, the things of darkness, the unknown things to us. And not only the things we can't see, but the things we couldn't possibly know, the motives of people's hearts. Why people do what they do. What prompted the action to do something? Only Jesus knows that, and only Jesus can see that. And I think it's going to be pretty amazing when he exposes that, when he comes back and judges those things. How's that going to look? How do you see an emotion? How do you see what's going on in your heart that motivates you to do something? How do you see that? We can't do that. That's why we can't be judges. Only Jesus can see that. Only Jesus knows that. And he says he's going to reveal those things. And the Lord does know no one's going to get away with anything they, they think they're getting away with, and no good work is going to be missed. He knows it all. So for us to try to judge anything is a waste of time. We don't have all the facts, good or bad. We can't possibly render a judgment without knowing all the facts, and it's a good thing because we're not supposed to. We're not the judge. It says, then each one's praise will come from God. That's what Paul thinks... That's why Paul thinks it's a very little thing to be judged by anyone here, including himself. 
Because God's judgment and God's praise are what matters, not what man thinks. Who cares what man thinks about us? We want to care what our God thinks about us. We're not uh, accountable to men. We're accountable to God. That's what Paul says he's, he's interested. That's what matters, because God's judgment is what matters, not men's. Verse 6 says, now these things, brethren, he, he loves his church here, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. Paul used his own name and Apollos's as examples he was citing. He says, for their sakes. This kind of shows us the heart of Paul in all this. They were picking sides and lifting some up and probably putting Paul down, and yet he is still looking out for them not wanting to add to their dividing, not wanting to fan the flames. That should be the heart of us as well, wanting to bring together rather than to separate and divide. Nothing worse than factions in the church, being divided when we're supposed to be one body. And he tells them why he used their names as examples instead of others. He says, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that they wouldn't add things that Paul didn't write about, that they wouldn't make stuff up. Paul's instruction to them are they're clear. Only the names have been changed to protect them so that none of them may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So they wouldn't be able to say, see, Paul wrote so-and-so's name in here, so he must be something because Paul wrote his name in there, so this person here is who I'm going to lift up or, or this person over here, but Paul wrote about him. He didn't do that. He knew what would happen, so he used his name as the example. If they don't think beyond what Paul has written them, they wouldn't be able to do that. It keeps them out of all kinds of trouble. And it's the same with us. If we don't think beyond what God has written to us, it will keep us out of all kinds of of trouble as well. It's very important for us to know that. Very important. People get out there, and I was reading something where they said, gosh, uh, it's biblical because it's in God's word. Okay, it's in God's word. And he said something like, well, today people say it's biblical if they can't find God speaking against it in his word. Many things you can think of in that. But if we stick to God's word and what God has written to us, we too are not going to get in trouble. Paul doesn't want his church getting in trouble. God doesn't want us getting in trouble. That's why he gave us this. If in doubt, take it to God's word. Run everything you do think and say through God's word and you're not going to mess up. Well, not a lot anyways, not me, but you can repent, turn back to God, look at his word and figure out where we messed up. But God's word's there for a reason. He gave it to us to guide us, to instruct us, that we wouldn't get off course. And if we did, it's there to bring us back on course. And that's what Paul's telling them here. Look, I, I stick with what I wrote. Don't think beyond it, and you won't get off course. God's given us words, his word so we won't get off course. Paul has given lots of instructions in these passages. For starters, reminding them and us who we are, God's temple, his church. What happens to those who devile God's church? Not to think we are wise in this world. What God thinks of the world's wisdom. We're told not to boast in men. We're not limited. All things are ours. We saw servants of Christ and being faithful stewards of the things God's given us to do. Not to judge one another. The Lord will do that. He'll be doing the judging because he knows the heart. 
caring for the church, not thinking beyond what is written, or picking and choosing sides. Lots of instructions for us this morning. And this isn't just an instruction list of do this or else, or, or do this because I'm a, you know, a mean master or whatever. All of this is for our benefit. All of this was for the church of Corinth's benefit. These instructions weren't written to be mean and nasty. These instructions, like you being a parent for your kids and you're instructing them so they don't get hurt when they do these things, so they know which way to go, so they're not stumbling around in the dark. They're not hanging out in places they shouldn't be. All of it, it's instructional for the church. God's word is instructional for us. And I hope something in here has spoken to you this morning. This whole thing's speaking to me, but I hope in God's word you found something today that you can leave here changed with that you can be grown in God's word with and matured up in God's word with. And his instruction to you today was good and right. And Father, this morning, we just ask, please, you would sink your word, your instructions to, to us this morning deep. 